to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. First Corinthians chapter 15. And today we're going to talk a little bit about testimony. Everybody has a testimony. You have a testimony. I have a testimony. What we will look at here today is what difference does your testimony make? Difference does my testimony make? As we look at Paul's testimony, a portion of Paul's testimony... We hopefully will be able to uh, draw some parallels and take something from here and through the message today. The word testimony, according to Webster's Dictionary, Noah, it is a first-hand authentication of a fact or evidence. It's an outward sign or It's a solemn declaration usually made orally by a witness under oath in response to interrogation by a lawyer or an authorized public official. Testimony. I think everybody understands what testimony is, right? We see too many programs on TV, you know, where, you know, the, the, the court scene is, unpl- you know, is unfolding before us and you see someone say, are you ready to give your testimony? Please step up to the stand and give your testimony. What do they do? Would you raise your right hand? Would you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth? Nothing but the truth. You notice that they've oftentimes are now have removed God out of that. So help you God, they've removed that out. But uh, needless to say, raising your right hand and saying, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. What you're saying is that I am going to tell you solemnly what it is that I know, what it is that I have seen, or what it is that I witnessed, or what it is that I factually know that has happened to me, or something that I witnessed, something that that I can give to you of, of my experience, right? Testimony. Well, as I started out, We all do have a testimony. I want you to think of yours. I'm going to take a drink of my hot chocolate infused coffee. I'm going to give you an opportunity to think of your testimony for the next moment. Think of your own personal. Don't think of anybody else's testimony, not around you. Think of your testimony. And what I want you to do is, while you are thinking of your testimony... When I say testimony to you, I mean, what is it that you know about yourself? What is it that you know about who you are that really matters? What is it that is lasting? What is it that's long-lasting? What is it that's life-altering? What does your testimony mean to your fellow man? So think about your testimony. Alright? I'm going to take my drink here.
You got it? Your testimony. Some people have allowed that to cause depression to set in. Some people will look at that and go, oh, my testimony. What does my life matter? Some people will look at their life and go, well, you know what? Almost like George Bailey. It might have been better if I were never born. Those of you who have watched It's a Wonderful Life will understand that reference. George Bailey. What about your life? George Bailey, he looked at it and said, Boy, I'll tell you, it it would have been better if I had never have been born. And then the angel, Clarence, kind of the clucksy angel, right? Clarence. He says, Oh, no, George, you shouldn't say such a thing. Right? And, and, And then the rest of the movie is, looking at George's life, had he never been born. And it's a warm story. It's a really cool story. I love the story. I watch it every year. Merry Christmas, you old building and loan. You know, I love it. You know, it's in that movie where you got the two cops that were fighting and wrestling outside that, that, that Sesame Street got their Bert and Ernie names from. The, the, the cops' names were Bert and Ernie. That's where Bert and Ernie, the Sesame Street puppets' names came from. Just a little trivia there for you. Now, here's the thing I don't want to happen. I went to Calvary Chapel, and the only thing I remember <laughs> is that Bert and Ernie's name came from It's a Wonderful Life. What did the teacher, what did the pastor teach on? Don't know. But some trivia, there it was, man. Please don't let that be the only thing you hear today. Here's the thing. The idea that God has placed us on the earth for a purpose. We have all got a purpose. Every single one of us. George Bailey had one. He was shown throughout the movie. And he got to a point where he's going, he was so depressed, he was so distraught over his own life and how much of a mess that he had made in his life that he just didn't want to exist not just die. He, it's not that he just wanted to die. He just didn't want to exist. And sometimes I'm afraid that sometimes we think that about ourselves. Maybe not all of us. Maybe there are some of us in this room. You think, what difference would it make if I would have ever been born or not? What difference has my life made? Well, you see, hopefully today we can all leave out of here having a newfound purpose or having a reaffirmed purpose in our life. As we look at Paul's life, as we look at a portion of his testimony, as I had you think of your own testimony, your own life story, something about yourself that has mattered and will matter forever and ever and ever. Well, Some of your stories may have been, well, I helped somebody and it saved their life. Maybe you saved somebody's life. Maybe you came to the rescue of somebody and you saved their life. And, and you know, that, that's awesome. You saved their life. 
Maybe you've done something that altered the course of someone's uh, situation. Maybe it's their you know, financial position. Maybe it's their socioeconomic system, you know, at, at, you know, place that they're at. You've done something that has radically changed somebody and they are the better for it and they actually are enjoying life because you've done something for them. And maybe they appreciate it or maybe they don't. It really is not that much of a difference, you know. I mean, obviously you'd kind of... Maybe you might go, I wish that they would at least acknowledge that I did that, but maybe maybe they don't. It still doesn't negate the fact that you did something that altered somebody's life, which is a great thing. I sometimes uh, I think of people when I introduce myself and I talk to somebody. Um, there are times where where I've seen in my life since I've been a pastor that when someone finds out, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor. Something changes. <laughs> Something changes. I mean, there's a, a many different responses that I get. Some, oh, you're one of those, you know. Or they, they, they genuinely are, cons- you know, they're genuinely, you know, interested. Oh, Really? Well, that's interesting. What got you into that? There's others that look at you and go, eh, all right, okay. All right, well, hey, good, good, good on you, man. Good on you. I, I tend to, there's some pastors that have, have, I've come across in my years of ministry that have wanted to give up and quit. I'm not the guy you come to when you want to quit. Because I, I won't let you off easy. Unless, you know, you're really damaging the cause of Christ. Then I'll, then I'll encourage you. But, uh, but if, you're, if you're just struggling because it's gotten, gotten hard, I'm not the guy that's going to encourage you to stop. Um, I'm going to be the guy that, that is not going to give you the free pass. I've had a lot of friends that have started ministries and then have called me and have said, I want to call you because you've got a small church. You've had a small church for a long time and you never gave up. Why? I say it's always simple. Because God's never let me. I'm never going to give up until the Lord tells me to give up. I don't foresee that ever happening. Well, you're just stubborn. No, I, I, I think that I, all that I've done is I've taken my call seriously. I think that I want to do what it is that God's called me to do. Oh, but you could be elsewhere. You could be in different places. Yeah, I know. I, I could be. But I've tried that before and, and I've considered and welcomed or opportunities out there and, and yet the Lord has always said no. And so I've stayed. Why? I don't know. Other than the one fact is is that God called me here. And I'm not going to go until God gives me the green light to go. I don't foresee it ever happening. I don't know. I don't know. I want, I want to be where the Lord wants me to be. Don't we all want to just be where God wants us to be? And it's not always going to be easy. And it's usually in the difficult days where you really begin to question whether or not you should be in a place. The difficult times. Those are always the times that, that you, you feel led 
to go somewhere else. I, I, you know, I experienced that in college, both firsthand and secondhand. Well, firsthand in two different manners. One as the guilty party and one as the party that it was being done to. Uh, for before I had taught in Bible college, I obviously was a student. And typically, I know that this isn't going to identify with anybody in here, but you start a hard class, maybe it's college, maybe it's high school, whatever it may be, usually college, and, and you, get into a, you get into a course, you're kind of excited when you get the syllabus. You kind of go, wow, this is going to be pretty interesting. You know, on the first day of class, you hear the professor get up and tell you about all the things that you're going to learn. He gives you a syllabus. And, and you sit there and you look at it and you listen to it and you go, wow, there's some really, really interesting things that I can't wait to dig my teeth into. And this is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And you kind of get behind it. And you go home and you kind of feel good about what you're going to learn that semester. And then come along about the seventh, eighth week of that semester when that midterm 25 page paper is due right you go well i probably should have started on it when he told me or she told me to start on my term paper i'm this isn't identifying with anybody in here so don't don't think that i'm pointing anybody out but here's the thing when i was an instructor when I was a teacher at a Bible college, I, that was usually right around the times where my midterms or the papers were due that people would come up and say, you know, the Lord's called me, you know, to, to drop this class. I, I let it happen my first semester. After that, I didn't let it happen. Because what I did is I started, in all my classes, what I began to do is I began to go around with the students when they first got into the class, and I would ask the question, hey, why do you think God has you in this class? And then I'd have people answer the question, oh, well, here's the thing. I believe that the Lord wants me in this class because he wants me to learn about that. And, and they, they give me their reasons why they believe that the Lord had directed them into that class. Because... I'm taking mental notes. Sometimes I'd even throw, out, throw down a jot down a, a quick little one word you know, note to kind of remind me because I know, kind of get a, kind of an idea of who you think might, would, might come up you know, in the middle of the semester when it gets tough and say, hey, it's time, to, time for me to drop the class. And I'd always bring back what they'd, they'd say. Wait a minute, you said that the Lord had led you into this class too and then I'd give them a reason. Well, yeah, but now the Lord's telling me to do something different. I'm going, okay, so the Lord's telling you to do something here, and then the Lord of completeness, the Lord who never starts something and leaves something unfulfilled, wants you to, to leave something undone. Because He has you do another job. He has you go do something else. Well, yeah, that's kind of what it is. Well, maybe I wasn't hearing the Lord good in the first place. There's all of these answers, but typically it's when times get tough that we begin to want to bail. I, I believe that that's why the, the Word tells us to make our calling and our election sure. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you're here for? Do you know what it's all about? Do you know why God has given you the opportunity to do, all of us are doing it right now, doing this. 
He gave you breath. He gave you opportunity to live. He gave you opportunity to see this beautiful day. It's part of your testimony. And now we have to find out why. I can't remember who said it. I can look it up. Uh, Two biggest days in a person's life. The day they were born. Mark Twain. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Do you know why you were born? It took Paul a long time to figure out that answer. It may have taken some of you guys a long time to find that answer, but some of you found it, haven't you? But there's some, I think, that might still be struggling with that answer. For what? You see... You can affect somebody's life and, and kind of going back to, you know, when somebody was, was, you know, will introduce or I'll introduce myself to somebody and they go, oh, okay, you're a pastor. Sometimes they look at, they kind of look down on that profession. They kind of, ah, you're a pastor. Oh, you're, you're just a pastor. I don't ever look at me being just a pastor. I think I've got the best job in the whole wide world. You know why? I have a better job than a brain surgeon I have a better job than the President of the United States. You might go, well, that isn't anything. I mean, yeah, I I know, I know, I know. (laughs) So do I, you know. Uh, I do, I have the best job in the whole world. You know why? I get the opportunity to affect people's lives. Not just for today. You go, why is a pastor a better job than a brain surgeon? A brain surgeon saves a person's life, takes a brain tumor out and gives that person... What? 20 more years? 30 more years of life? 50 more years of life? Let's, let's go big. 80 more years of life. What then? All that that brain surgeon has done is given that person more years to live on this face of this earth. Oh, I might not be able to give you more days of life on this earth, but what I can do, what I get the opportunity to do, is introduce you to the one. that will never allow you to die. You live forever. You live forever. And you know, you might have had a brain tumor or you may be a brain surgeon and you've fixed a three-year-old kid and maybe that kid, 80 years from that point, 83 years old, that kid grows up, becomes an 83-year-old and dies. Not from a brain tumor. You fix that. But mind you this, If they didn't know the Lord, they're lost for eternity. All that that brain surgeon has done is given them 80 more years of life. But now they begin the step and the season of eternity apart from God. A president gets four years, eight years to affect change culturally, societally. But when it comes down to it, and we're seeing it right now, aren't we? There can be a president in there for eight years and a new president comes in and says, I'm going to undo everything that that guy did. So how much radical change did a president make? 
Some do. Some make good changes and big changes. But in the grand scheme of things, what? How big of a change is it? Their testimony. What does it matter? When the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter a whole hill of beans, does it? The brain surgeon. The heart surgeon. I don't know who you are. You, you, can be a, you can be a billionaire and you hand out money to people and, and you help people that way and, and you give out your money. Let's say, say Bill Gates begins to kind of just, you know, uh, anonymously hand out all of his billions of dollars to people. Anonymously. He might help them for the interim financially. But we've all even seen that. Money, financial success oftentimes can be the very thing that keeps you out of heaven because you begin to believe and and rely more upon the mammon or the money than you do on the Lord. And you lose in the end. And so in the grand scheme of things, I think you see where I'm going with this, don't you? We all have a plan. We all have a purpose. We all have a God that loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Our job, Mark chapter 16 says, here's what it says, Mark chapter 16. Let me just read it to you real quick. Mark chapter 16. It says this. You can jot this note down and look it up and you get home. One that you should know. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Condemned? Jesus just drew a line in the ground, didn't he? He said those who believe are going to go to heaven. Those who don't believe are going to be condemned. What in the world did you come for? To condemn the world? No, 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 no. Because we'll look over at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3 says this. We know the very well-known verse, probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John 3, 16, right? You can say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you ever carry on? Verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him, in Christ, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the, same son, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into this world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's a condemnation. Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to preach the gospel. What is gospel? We know what the word gospel means. What is the word Gospel mean? Good news. So Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the good news. 
Well, you can't preach good news if there isn't also a bad news. There's a lot of people that don't like pastors talking about the bad news. It's just not popular. You don't want to do that to people because it hurts their self-esteem. It hurts their psyche. It hurts them and it bums them out. And people don't want to hear the negative. People don't like... We're, we, we are living in a society that doesn't like to hear the negative. But how can we truly enjoy and experience the positive unless we understand what the positive is And if we understand what the positive is, we understand what the good is, we can't fully appreciate it unless we know why it's good. Because you're not going to have to experience the bad. That's condemnation. That's separation from God. That's separation, not from God for a week, Not separation from God for 80 years. Not separation from God, well, in a hundred years, He'll give you another opportunity. No, no. The thing is, is that you and I have one life to live upon the face of this earth. What we, there's one decision, one decision that we have got to make sure we get right. And that is, what have we done with the gift that God has placed upon this earth? In His Son, Jesus Christ. If we get that wrong, we fail. We don't just go into a corner with a dunce hat on, which is very politically incorrect today, isn't it? My wife and I were watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer last night. How many of you guys were watching it on TV? None of you? It was on broadcast TV and not one of you guys in here saw Rudolph. <laughs> I don't know. Have any of you guys seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer this year? How, when, was the la- when was the last time you actually really watched that show? Was Santa a jerk or what? And Donner? I lost all respect for that reindeer. And Dasher? Everyone, they were all, and, and the main elf, a dentist, Herbie wants to be a dentist, you know, hey, he just, they're jerks, they're all just jerks, every one of my, my wife and I, we were looking at that, and I'm going, I'm going, do you see how much of a jerk these guys are, hey, why are we, why are we, why are we looking at Santa Claus going, oh, Donner, how dare you, your son can't, you know, can ever fly on my sleigh, oh, shame, shame, Rudolph, turn that nose down, you know. Well, he finally saw the light. But here, here's the thing. They were all kind of jerks to Rudolph. This poor little thing was just born into a world. He didn't have any control over his nose glowing red. But everybody trashed him down. Got problems with that movie. But, you know... The good news that we have is Jesus Christ, right? The gift, the gift. That's what this season's all about. It's about the gift that God gave to us. 
wrapped in the swaddling, not, not, in, not in gift wrapping. The gift wrapping was the swaddling clothes of a teenager daughter, of a, teen, or of a teenager woman who gave birth. <coughs> the gift that never ends. The gift. The good news is that that baby came into the world to save mankind. Our testimony should reflect our life. Hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm painting a scene that you and I can both identify with and it's this. We have a plan. We have a purpose. We have a job to do as people. God gave us life. He gave you oxygen in these lungs. He gave you, you the ability to think. He gave you the ability to speak. He gave you the ability to articulate and communicate the greatest story ever lived. Not told. It's not, a, it's not a, a fairy tale. It's the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest story ever lived. It's the greatest story that all men and women have got to hear. You and I can't force anybody into heaven. We can't force anybody to accept Christ. We can't force anybody to do that. But one thing we can do, we can present the gift. Kevin had shared in announcements, this is the greatest time of the year for you who are afraid to invite people to church because it is the most simple time of the year. Hey, our church is having a Christmas Eve service. Why don't you come? It's Christmas. Come on over. We'd love to have you. It's an easy time to invite people to church. I promise I'll give an evangelistic message that they'll have an opportunity to understand who Jesus is. You go, sometimes I don't know what to say to a friend. Well, invite him to church on Christmas Eve. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. And through the power of the Lord, let those words do whatever he, God's going to do in the heart of that individual, but bring them. The point is, our job is to go out into the world. To share the gospel. What does that have to do with 1 Corinthians 15? Look, let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at what Paul says. Paul writes, he says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news, which I preach to you, which you also received, in which, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For here's what I delivered to you. Here's my testimony. Here's what I have shared. This is my story. This is my song. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. I'm not asking you to do something or accept something that I myself haven't also recognized and received unto myself. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or have died. He's writing back in the days where many of these people who saw Jesus were still alive and were able to testify, give their testimony of what it is that they saw. 
After that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am truly, or I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but it was the grace of God which was within me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. What are they preaching? They're preaching their testimony. They're preaching what it is that they know. They're preaching the good news. They're preaching. They're going out and they're taking the most important message into the most important people. Who are the most important people in your life? Who are the most important people in your life? Think about that for a moment. Are you afraid to tell them about an eternal decision that is going to save their life for, the, for eternity? If that's you, pray for boldness, man. You don't have to save anybody. We don't, that's the cool thing about, this is what makes it so much easier for us, gang. We don't have to save anybody. We just have to tell them the truth. We have to tell them who Jesus is. We have to tell them, listen, what I'm giving to you is what I myself have received. That's what Paul said, right? The things that I delivered to you are, first of all, that which is what I also received, he says there in verse 3. I'm giving to you what I also have received. This is what I know. This is what I have received into my heart. This is who I am. And this is what my life will be for the rest of my life. I'm going to tell people, especially the ones that I love, about what it is and who it is that Christ is to me and who it is and, and you know, who it is that Christ is to, to mankind and who he could be for you. Listen, you don't have to be a pastor. You just have to be a friend. You just have to be you. Oh, but you don't understand, Pastor Don. I, I, I'm not real good with language. I'm not real good. I know Moses tried that one on the Lord too, didn't he? Oh, I'm not eloquently. I'm not eloquent of speech. Lord, send somebody else. Moses? Yeah. The Lord gave him Aaron, and Aaron did some talking, but it was kind of a, maybe something necessary to kick Moses in the pants to get him going on those first few steps, but Moses did a lot of talking, didn't he? Moses didn't really need a spokesperson. He just needed to trust the one in who, whom gave him the, the gift or the ability. He just had to obey. He just had to do what it is that God's called him to do. Trust God with the rest. Can you imagine going into a Pharaoh and saying, listen, let my people go. That's what the Lord's telling me to come in and tell you. God's telling me to come in here and tell you to let my people go. Let his people go. Or uh, he's, uh, he, he's going he's gonna to make this stick a snake. Oh, really? Yeah, make that stick a snake. Okay, bloop. It turns into a snake. The Pharaoh brings his own magicians in. It says, okay, that kind of freaked me out. 
Mo just made his snake a, his stick a snake. Can you do what he did? And they said, well, let's check it out. And they went and they thought about it and they did their little magician things, you know, and they threw a couple sticks on the ground and they became snakes. Now, if you're Moses, what do you think? Okay, Lord, you kind of set me up for this, didn't you? I'm looking like with a lot of jelly on my face here, Lord. This isn't, this isn't cool. You sent me in here and they can do what you, what you told me I could do. I mean, the trick that I did was awesome and freaked me out. But when they did it, all of a sudden, you're not as great as I thought you were. Or maybe you're not going to protect me like I thought you were. Or maybe you aren't going to do. And now doubt can start flooding into Moses in that time. The Bible does say that theirs became snakes. But Moses' snake ate the other snakes. So if, if there was any consolation in there, Moses had a little bit of consolation. It's like God was giving him kind of a little nugget, a little golden nugget. Yeah, but my snake ate up their snakes. And it came back into his hand, turned into a snake, or turned into a stick. Can you imagine going back in there? Moses, he says, Moses, go back in there and tell him that the water's going to be turned to blood. You know, oh, well, how are you going to do that, Lord? Do you see Moses asking him how he's going to do all this? No, he, he doesn't really. You know, he goes back in and he does it. He says, hey, all the water's going to turn to blood. Takes an act of faith, doesn't it? You know what Moses learned? He learned that it wasn't in him that anything was going to be accomplished. He learned that all he needed to do is just obey God. That's all he had to do. He just had to obey God. The lesson for you and I is just we just need to obey God. That's all we have to do. We, all that we're called to do is go and talk to people about the Lord. All that we're told to do is to go and tell people what Christ has done in our life. Because the message is eternal. I ask the question, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a friend of somebody, and you're afraid to talk to your loved ones, I, I, I just coupled everybody in here. I just basically, all of us are under that cloud right now. Because we all have friends. We all have family. Maybe you have a mom or a dad that doesn't know the Lord. I remember talking to a fella that was saved. But he was afraid of talking to his dad who was within just days of dying. And I said to him, hey man, your dad, what do you know about his salvation, man? What do you know about his walk with the Lord? He goes, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that he's, I don't think, I don't think he, He's a Christian. I said, don't you think it's time that he hears? No. He'd get so mad at me if I talked to him about the Lord. My friend, who's going to tell him? You understand what you're playing with here? Your dad's sick. Your dad's going to die. And you're more afraid of how much you're going to offend him at the end of his life than to take the chance and to tell him about Christ and to tell him about eternity before he takes that final plunge off the face of this earth and takes a step into eternity where there is no more hope because you want 
to be seen in a good light in his life, in the last few days of his life? Do, do you think that in eternity, if he's not saved, that he's going to be offended that you talked to him or that you didn't talk to him? I, I'm sorry that I was kind of laying it on pretty heavy with the guy and he was crying. He was convulsively crying. I said, you've got to talk to him. Somebody's got to talk to him, man. Somebody's got to step in the gap. What's the most important decision in this guy's life right now? Your dad, do you really love him? Now, if you don't believe in Christ, that's a whole other story. But if you truly believe in Christ, why are you withholding this information? Because he's going to be upset with you? That doesn't make sense. You're willing to see him off into an eternity of, of condemnation, of separation from God because you don't want to hurt his feelings in the last few hours of his life. I'm sorry, man. That, I, 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 there comes a point where you've got to just like, kind of like step on the neck and say, hey, let's, let's quit beating around the bush. Let's get down to brass tacks here because, man, we've got, we don't have a lot of time to sit here and be snuggly you know, uh, you know, buddies right here and say, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this real nice. I'm going to say, I'm going to kind of talk around this big elephant that's in the room. Your dad's going to hell. He doesn't have a relationship with God. Out of your own mouth, out of your mom's mouth. Who's going to tell him about not going there? Let me go. I'll go. He doesn't have to like me. Let me go and see him. And he said, no. <laughs> I don't want to do that to my dad in my dad's last days. That's bothered me for about the last eight years. Even to this day, obviously I'm bringing it up. A son loved his dad so much, loved his dad so much that he didn't want to upset him in the last few hours of his life. But his son loved his dad so much that he wouldn't present the gospel to him to save his dad from an eternity separated from God. Is that love? The grandfather to the child that was very good in, in, in school. I mean, he was a straight-A student. Captain of the football team. Scholarship offers. Proud, kind of arrogant. Grandfather got a couple minutes with his grandson. He says, Grandson, what are your plans? Grandson said, Well, Grandpa, I, I don't know if you realize it, but I'm pretty good at what I do. Good football player. Got a lot of scholarship offers from a lot of the big schools. Division one schools all over the place. I don't know if you realize, but I have straight A's. And and I've got scholarship offers everywhere and, and, and so I am gonna go, I'm trying gonna pick a college to go to. He goes, Well well, well then what? What then, son? What then? He says, Well then I'll I'll go to that college. My plan is, is that, you know, I'm going to get on the football team. I'm gonna, I'm, hopefully I can continue excel, to excel on the football team like I do in, in, in high school. And I can continue to excel in the classroom. I can graduate. I can get my doctorate. I can get, you know, become an All-American. 
possibly get a Heisman Trophy. I don't know. Get drafted in the NFL. Grandfather says, what then, grandson? I, I, I guess, Grandpa, I guess, uh, you know, I'll, I'll find a girl, get married, hopefully sign a big contract, get a nice house, a couple cars, maybe a plane, maybe a boat, I don't know. Get, you know, get, get some good things, man. Have a good life. Have some kids. He says, what then? Well, then I'll play my career out. Play my career out. Hopefully have a long career. But what then? Well, I don't know. I guess I'll just retire like everybody else. Maybe become a newscaster like a lot of these old football players do. You know? Still make money. Still be in the sport. Do it, you know? But what then? Well, I don't know, Grandpa. Then I guess we'll, I'll grow old. with I'll see my, my, grand, or my kids, your great-grandkids, you know, grow up and go to college and start their own lives and hand my kids off in their marriages. And what a, it'd be a great time. Got a great life in front of me, Grandpa. He says, but what then, grandson? Well, I don't know. I'll grow old with my wife, I guess. My kids will grow up. They'll have lives of their own and... My wife and I will will retire, go to the villages. What then? Then it got started getting a little serious. Grandson's thinking, what are you getting at, old coot? What are you getting at? What are you doing to me? Grandpa, I get, okay. Is this what you want to know? That, okay. My wife or I will die We'll die. Death is the next thing, Grandpa. Is that what you want me to hear? My grandpa said to his grandson, he says, what then, grandson? What do you mean, what then? I'm dead. What then? Where will you be? Where will you be? I don't understand the question, Grandpa. Are you going to be in heaven for eternity? Are you going to be in hell? Where are you going to be? What then? You live this life. Where did God fit into that life? Where is? Where is God in that? You see, the most important thing in every one of our lives, all it takes is one huge tragedy in the world to cause us to reflect on what is the most important things in life. And it's God, right? And let me ask you, if you're in, a, in an airplane and all of a sudden... One engine starts on fire and the other one quits? Are you thinking about your Xbox? Are you thinking about, you know, your, you know, your boat? Are you thinking about your profession? Are you crying out to a car company because you love cars so much? Are you crying out for the money? All of the money in the world isn't going to, to buy your way out of this condition that you're in, this position that you're in. It's the most important thing in the life at that moment. At that moment, everybody has a newfound appreciation for God, don't they? They cry out to who? Not Budweiser. They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. 
What's the most important thing in life, gang? Hopefully, this morning, i got to end. That's what Paul's saying. What I'm going to give to you is not something that I myself haven't all also done. I had to cross the difficult, awkward bridges myself. But what I'm offering to you is what I first also received myself. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he was seen by a whole lot of people. It really happened. This is my testimony. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. What's your story? What's your testimony? Does it matter? What effect will it have upon your friends, your family, the people that God places you in their path? What difference does it make? If God is not a part of that, I will say the difference will be minimal. But if God is in that, you're more important, you're more valuable than a brain surgeon. You're more valuable, your position, your, your call that God has placed on your life, on my life, is more important than any profession that is in the world this day. You're carrying on the call that the Lord has called for you and for me and for all who call upon His name. What's your testimony? You go out there and you share it with people, especially the ones you love, because lives are hanging in the balance. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. I pray, God, that this message... uh, will inspire us, Lord, to open our mouth a little bit more, a little bit more often, a little bit more freely, recognizing that I can't change the heart of anybody. All I'm called to do is just to tell people what you've done in my life. This is my testimony. This is what God has done in my life. I don't know what he's going to do in your life, but I'll tell you what he has done in my life. This is what the Lord means to me. I'm not saying something to you that I myself haven't also had to consider. Maybe through awkward conversations of friends that were stammering over their own words trying to tell me about this Lord that I didn't know until they opened their mouth. But since I've known Him, here's what He's done in my life. He took my sins away. He cleansed me. He made a way of escape from condemnation. He gave me eternity. If I... I I win today. Whether I live on this earth or whether I die today, I can die in a car accident and I still win. I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. Not because of how glorious or how awesome I am, but because of Him. Because of His gift. Because I was willing to open my eyes and see His gift for what it really was. A free gift to all men all mankind, all women, all children, anybody who would listen, anybody who would humble their heart and recognize that God gave the most precious gift in the form of a baby who grew amongst man, lived amongst man, and then died at the hands of man, but then rose again to prove to man not only that he was God, but that God had accepted the sacrifice the sin sacrifice that would pay the penalty 
for any condemnation upon any person who calls upon his name. Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room that we would be able to take this inspiration today and maybe in this season where it is more easily broached the subject of you that Lord we would open our mouth and be obedient to you and share you with our loved ones even though it might be awkward even though it might be hard even though it might put a relationship on the line the stakes are too high to remain silent I pray that you give us all boldness to be obedient to you where you call us how you call us give us the words give us a true genuine sincere heart to see people saved and then use us Lord empower us to do to follow your call to share our testimony what you have done in our life and what you can do in others through your son Jesus Christ Amen Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.